Expensive stuff. Gold, brass. Brass. Gold. What else would they make stuff out of? Silver. Bronze. Bronze. Silver. Silver. Ivory. Fine woods. Glass. You think of a lot of things that they could have used that would have been specially, you know, elegant packaging. But God put the gospel. And these clay pots, these human bodies of the apostles. Why did he do that? You know, it, it, I, I don't know a lot about heights, expensive sort of things that come in packages. I haven't bought a lot of that kind of stuff. But if you were to buy, you know, a super expensive piece of jewelry, what kind of packaging would it be? Yeah. Yeah, velvet box, that's right. You know, it's going to be a top-of-the-line package. You know, it's not going to be in some just, uh, you know, kind of flimsy cardboard. You know, if you were to buy super expensive clothes, they come in some really expensive, elegant, elaborate packaging. I mean, you know, you kind of expect that. And here you've got this wonderful, glorious gospel in the bodies of fishermen and, you know, tax collectors and terrorists and things like that. And, uh... So why? What was God thinking? The power's in him and not us. Amen. The power's in him and not us. That was what he says. He says so that the surpassing greatness of the power of God not from ourselves. It shows 
that the power of the message was not in the ability of the messenger. It wasn't that these, these apostles were just so incredibly intelligent that, you know, they dreamed up this glorious gospel. Really. I mean, fishermen aren't necessarily stupid. But, I mean, they're not intellectual judges. I know our tax collectors and terrorists and whoever else they are. You know, so, I mean, clearly, this is the Lord's message. And, and I mean, really, you stop and think about it. Some people are almost too clever for God to use them. You know, I mean, because they distract from the glory of the treasure. Now, let's say, you know, I don't know, is anybody here really rich and uh, want to get your uh, significant other a really expensive piece of jewelry? You know, I've never really bought anything really expensive along that line. But let's say, I don't know, I mean, you could buy jewelry worth tens of thousands of dollars, I guess. You know, you buy this $20,000 whatever, and, and it's in, wow, it's in a package like you wouldn't believe. And you give it to your girlfriend, your wife, or whatever, and she just falls in love with that box. She can't believe the box. You know, it's just, oh, this is what a wonderful box. How do you feel about that, guys? <laughs> Something's wrong, you know. She's not recognizing what's really valuable. But wow, how many times do we show more interest in the packaging of the gospel than the gospel itself? We go up to a guy who preaches a wonderful sermon from the scriptures, and we fall all over ourselves and say, Oh, you're awesome. Oh, man, you're the most wonderful speaker. I've just never heard anybody talk about that. <laughs> That's like adoring the packaging. You know, it's the message that made it something. I really believe this. You can disagree with this if you want to. I don't think there's hardly any brethren I've ever heard preach that we would think were very good speakers if they were talking about anything else but the gospel. You don't necessarily have among brethren very much very good speakers. You know, if they were lecturing on philosophy or psychology or, you know, pretty much anything else. I don't think they'd be electrifying people. I don't think they, most of them are probably not going to uh, be the dynamic feature, speakers on the campaign trail for, you know, office or whatever. Not that are either, but, uh, but you know, I mean, really, the thing that makes the lessons so outstanding is it's the gospel. It's a wonderful message. And, and if we don't mess it up, it's going to be powerful. It's going to be amazing. And we're right to be in awe of it, but but we, we missed it if we think it's the person we're in awe of. It's really the, the Lord that, that spoke the gospel. So we've got to keep the focus on the God of the gospel, not his messenger. And so God just made it really clear by putting such a glorious gospel in such ordinary men that it's not the man. Make sense? And then Paul goes on to talk about really the power of God in him. Because he says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. You, Paul endured a lot. I mean, it was constant suffering. That was kind of just, the, it went with the territory. You know, I mean, he just really, I mean, he was abused and put down and, and persecuted in every kind of way. And yet, God kept him going. God gave him the strength and the power to not be overwhelmed and, and to, to be knocked down but not knocked out, you know, kind of an idea. You know, he got, he got beat up, but he, he, he was strong. 
And uh, he said, always caring about the body, the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. See, that was Paul. He didn't just preach the crucifixion. He lived the crucifixion. You think about it. Just think about the kinds of things that Jesus went through in those final hours. Because it's more than just the pain of the nails, right? I was painful. Woo. Man, I cannot imagine the physical stress of, of the crucifixion. But what else did Jesus go through in those final hours? Humiliation. Betrayal. Betrayal. Exhaustion. Ridicule. Disappointment. Loneliness. And so forth and so forth. There's just so many angles to consider what Jesus went through. Paul lived the dying of Jesus. He, he, he showed that, um, you know, constant stress of being under fire, of being in danger, of being in pain and in grief. You know, we like to operate from a position of strength. We like to really, you know, be tough and show we can handle everything. But but Paul, really his suffering showed the power of God. You know, that he said, you know, we, we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal bodies. I mean, Jesus, if we're following Jesus, we follow him in his dying so that we can follow him in his living. So Paul does not come across as this confident, you know, powerful, you know, dynamic Christian leader that's always in the spotlight, that's got the warm-up bands that come before him, and he's got, you know, people, you know, practically, you know, worshiping his head of speed, living in a mansion, you know, driving, you know, wonderful cars or having maybe a chauffeur. You know, that's not Paul. He's not at all like that. You think about what a contrast Paul is with what you see as some of the successful evangelists of our day. Wow, it's a whole different picture. Maybe a whole different picture than what we even Because we like success. We like prestige and power and glory and luxury. So, I mean, you really have to see Paul's living and dying for Jesus. Thoughts and comments? Paul. I mean, wow, we're just trying to impress people when we really just need to live for Jesus. Other thoughts? I think about Paul so often as small, and you know, the trustees that he probably had as he stood there in front of those who are going to see him, and just, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't glory in that ever. You never see him look back and long for his life before, but yet it's always the affliction. Persecution, that would be wrong, wrong to be 
He gave up status, success, pedigree, and all of that to suffer with Jesus. I mean, if you want status, if you want glory, if you want everybody looking up to you, go somewhere other than the gospel. You know, I mean, that's not the kind of life that Jesus lived. That's not the kind of life his followers, true followers, will have. Other thoughts? 13 to 15. He has the same spirit of faith. He believes and therefore he speaks. And wow, if that doesn't define Paul. He believed and he spoke and he spoke and he spoke and he spoke. He spoke to everybody everywhere. He was always speaking because he believed. He believed in Jesus. And so he spoke to people where? I mean, he spoke when... He was by the riverbank and in the synagogue and before authorities and he spoke in the jail and you just anywhere he went and at various continents, you know, he was just constantly speaking about Jesus. I mean, that's Paul because he believed. If we really believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he's going to one day come back and he's going to judge us, won't we speak? How can we not speak? And won't we speak and speak and speak? And, 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 and you think about, you know, the courage and strength that that faith gave him. He says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. We are really bolstered in our faith and confidence by knowing we'll be raised. And that hope of the resurrection really sustains us in hard times. I mean, he raised Jesus, he'll raise us. Do you, do you see the connection? I mean, the Bible presents it as Jesus' resurrection with the first fruits. And it was like, if you get the first fruits, it's kind of the promise of the harvest that's going to follow. So look at like Romans 8, Romans 8, 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit. Who dwells in you. If he raised Jesus, he'll raise you. First Corinthians 6.14 Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his God. You know, he raised the Lord, he'll raise us. And then First Thessalonians chapter 4. And verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who fall asleep in Jesus. He'll raise them up. You know, so if they raise Jesus, he'll raise us. We know that. But do we believe that? We talked about that last year. But we just really need to, to live more for the resurrection. What gave Paul 
the courage to speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also. When my mother was married, a little over a year ago, J.R. Brown just spoke at the graveside, and he talked about how we should look at that place where mom was buried. Not as the place where mom was buried, but as the place from which she will be raised. That's right. That's what we think. We're not looking forward so much to the burial. We're realizing we'll be raised. We're gonna, our bodies gonna be raised up. And, and that gives us courage, hope, and confidence. And, and he says, and we'll look at that a lot more in chapter 5. He will, he will elaborate on that. He says, but he will present us with you. Paul really works on that connection. Us and you. Bringing them together. Paul and, and the Corinthians. So look, for example, at chapter 1, verse 5. Just as the sufferings of Christ were ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundance in, through Christ. But if we are afflicted for your comfort and salvation, if we are comforted for your comfort, you know, our hope for you is firmly grounded knowing that you are shares of our suffering, so you are shares of our comfort. You know, he's emphasizing the fact what you're going through, we're going through. What we're going through, you're going through. This is building that community idea. And then in chapter 1 and verse 14, just as you also partially didn't understand this, that we are your reason to be proud, as you also are ours in the name of our Lord Jesus. And in verse 21, he establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us as God. And again in chapter 2, that my joy, verse 3, will be the joy of you all. And uh, that sort of thing. Just a lot of statements where Paul really tries to bring them together. Them together with him. It's, it's you and us together. And so he says, you know, he will present us with you. We'll all be together uh, before the Lord. And then he says in verse 4, 15, For all things for, are for your sake, so that the grace which is spreading the more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound in the glory of God. So he wants God to be glorified. The more people that experience the grace of God, the more people will thank God and the more God will be glorified. So one of the main purposes of evangelism is to glorify God. Every person comes to Christ and praises and thanks Him, glorifies God more. So that's a part of our goal. We want the grace spreading to more and more people so more people give thanks and abound to God's glory. Do we, does that move us? Are we, are we that excited about the glory of God? That we, we really want more people to glorify Him. We really want more people to love Him and praise Him and honor Him. I think that, that's the kind of goal we need to have. Um, and so, that's what you see. I mean, you see Paul's motivation. You know, through all he went through, he kept speaking because he knew that God would raise him up and he could see that more grace spreading to more people gave more thanks because God be glorified. Thoughts and comments? Yeah, Jason. Paul's care for other people is just fascinating. Like, all the way through, seeing the examples, things that he talks about, things that he says. 
back in, in verses 11 and 12 when he talks about being constantly delivered over to death. And verse 12, so death works in us, but life in you. You know, his suffering was an opportunity for him to be able to reach more people and touch more hearts. So like was mentioned in chapter 1, that God comforts us so that we can be comforted. A lot of times we avoid pain and hard situations just because, I mean, it's not comfortable. We don't like it. Uh, it's not enjoyable for us to go through those hard, difficult times. Uh, but really it's in those hardest times that we go through that we're able to help more people. Um, and so I, I don't think that we should use uh, those kinds of excuses. Of, well, this is going to be really hard, or you know, this is going to be really tough on my family. Uh, you know, if, if there's something that we should do that's going to help more people ultimately uh, in service to the Lord, then I think we should put ourselves out on a limb. We're a little bit baby, don't you think? Oh, it's so hard! It's so hard! It's so hard, man! It's hard. Okay. Yeah, it is. Was for him to, but it's worth it. God's glorified more. You know, we. I mean, we just like I don't know. No pain, no gain. I mean, this is worth. This is worth suffering for. Other thoughts, right? It reminds me of Psalm twenty-one. Um, the first verse is the king shall join your strength, O Lord. In your salvation, how greatly shall you rejoice. And then it ends in verse 13. He says, Be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength. We will sing and praise your power. And all leading up to that in the previous Psalms, you know, David's just been suffering intensively. He's been very honest about that. But as he's been suffering, it's like he can see the glory of God's salvation and mercy and strength much more clearly. And he's able to see it and then praise God for it and desire to spread that and talk about it to others as well, which we still reap the benefit. Because we're receiving the benefit of what he learned through that time. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Momentary light affliction, what Paul went through? 
I'd hate to see heavy. You know, even middle size would be tough. That was light affliction. But how do you weigh things? By comparison. You compare what is affliction with the glory that was coming. It was nothing. You know, it was a lot. It was nothing compared with that eternal weight of glory. Far beyond all comparison. The weight of glory just blew everything else out of the water. So, so much glory. Um, you know, and, and, and that changes everything. We don't look forward enough. So we're like, oh, it's so hard, it's so hard, it's so hard. Yeah, but look what's coming. You know, be excited about the goal. Be excited about the blessing, the resurrection, and the, the being with the Lord forever. What we're going through here is nothing. And what Paul would do is light. It's better way for us. No matter what it is. And have you ever, you know, been shipwrecked? You know, how about beaten with rocks? You know, or whipped? Imprisoned multiple times? You know, in constant danger everywhere you went? And so forth and so on. Um, so then he says in verse 18, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. But the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. If you're driving a car, especially if you're not experienced, and say you're looking to burn underneath your car, it goes where you're looking, doesn't it? You notice how that works? It's one of the things you have to train a kid. You know, you've got to keep the wheel straight, even though you're looking back. Because your tendency is going to go where you're looking. If you're riding a bicycle, that's what, what you tend to do, or a motorcycle, whatever. We tend to go where we're looking. I'll tell you, if you're walking, you start looking over somewhere, pretty soon you're going to be drifting over that direction. You know, and so we are going to go spiritually where we're looking. We are. If, if, if we're looking at the, this life stuff, that's where our eyes are going to be all right. But if we look at the unseen things, now it's kind of a paradox. It's hard to see those unseen things, but it's worth it. Let's look at those unseen things. Just really focus on those. They're the they're the things that matter. <coughs> Thoughts and comments. Yes. So this is obviously a theme for Paul because in Romans eight eighteen uh, or nineteen, sorry, no it's eighteen. He says, uh, "For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the ancient longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the Son of God." So, I mean, the whole creation is groaning, and we're waiting, but what, what's going on here? It's not, it's, not even, it's not even anything to be compared to. So, um, you know, this is important, obviously, because it's something that Paul teaches, but it's also used to teach. Other thoughts? Yes. I mean, the immediate...
speaks more loudly than the future and what we see than what we have to visualize the problem. Thank you. 